It's time for Fed Talk, the live show for Feds in the Know. From federal agencies to Capitol Hill, the attorneys of Shaw, Bransford, and Roth bring in experts from across the federal community to bring you inside the issues. Fed Talk is meant to provide general information about legal issues. However, the views expressed in this program are not intended to provide legal counseling. Listeners are cautioned not to rely upon any statements made in resolving legal issues they may face, but instead to consult with their own attorney about specific situations. Attorneys are not engaged in providing legal services while appearing on the program and are not responsible in any manner for the consequences that may stem directly or indirectly from reliance on any statement made during this program. Good morning and welcome to Fed Talk. I'm Tony Bernetti from Feds, Federal Employee Defense Services, and today is Friday, September 25th, 2015. And since we are on the eve of open season for all federal employees and their benefits, we figured it would be a good time here at Fed Talk to talk about some of those supplemental insurance benefit options that are available to all federal employees, uh, specifically the ones that help you pay for unexpected expenses and services like long-term care insurance, supplemental disability insurance, even professional liability insurance. Uh, before we get started, I want to remind everyone that Fed Talk is brought to us by Federal Long-Term Care Partners. Long-Term Care Partners administers OPM's sponsored federal long-term care insurance program. For more information, go to www.ltcfeds.com. And since right on cue, long-term care are one of those insurance options that we want to talk about today, um, of course, we're going to bring on someone from Long-Term Care Partners. And I'm very pleased. I got my good friend Joan Melanson in studio with me. Joan is the director of program promotion at the Long-Term Care Partners. And as I just said, they administer the federal government's long-term care insurance program. So Joan is here to tell us all about long-term care options for federal employees. Joan, good morning and welcome to the show. Good morning, Tony. I'm delighted to be here again with you in the studio in D.C. A little later in the show, we'll have Jim DeLatora of the Fed Advantage Disability Insurance Program. Uh, Jim is also a chartered retirement planning counselor for federal employees. So I've asked him to come on to speak about some other financial planning tools available to all federal employees. Uh, but Joan, let's start. Um, if somebody were to ask you um, why, you know, why do I need to be thinking about, you know, long-term care as part of, you know, as part of my overall retirement planning? Like, for example, I'm I'm 48 years old. Is this something I should be thinking about? Absolutely. And you know, you know, Tony, I get that question all the time. It's almost a non sequitur. You want to talk to me about retirement? You've worked all your life. Um, uh, worked very, very hard. You've saved up your, your nest egg. You're figuring out how much money you're going to need. What's your lifestyle going to be? And it's something that's very, very exciting. And then I, at the same time, say, you should think about long-term care. And you say, are you kidding? Long-term care is for old people. Long-term care is about nursing homes. Why do you want me to think about long-term care when I'm preparing for the next phase of my life, which is retirement? And, and so it is a bit of a non sequitur. And when I, when I talk to many people in person and, and they don't understand that, they, they step back from me like I have leprosy. Something's going to happen because, you know, long-term care is what I call this icky factor. It's something that we don't want to talk about at all. It's what I call the, the um, cradle-to-grave kind of full circle. And for those of you who have ever been a caregiver, you know what I'm referring to. 
So um, you mentioned, you know, about, you know, the people think of it as involving nursing homes and things mm-hmm. like that, but it's so much, it's so much more than that, right? Absolutely. And that's exactly it. If I, you know, if you do one of these word games and you say long-term care, you say nursing home. And uh, actually, that's sort of the last resort. Most of, of long-term care is, you know, takes place at home. So let me level set everybody just in case we're not, not on the same page. Long-term care is very different than health care. Health care is when you're getting better. And everybody has health insurance to patch you up if you have a heart attack, if you have a stroke. You get into a car accident, you go into the hospital. You're getting better. It's what I call acute care. Long-term care is chronic care. Chronic care means you're going to need assistance with the things that we do every single day and we take for granted. I got up this morning and uh, I got out of bed, <laughs> got into the shower. I had some breakfast. Um, I, these are the things that um, I, I got dressed. These are what we call activities of daily living. Long-term care involves helping somebody physically with these types of activities over an extended period of time where they're not going to get better. They're not medical kinds of things. It's helping with activities of daily living. Or you could have Alzheimer's, a cognitive impairment where, you know, Tony, you're very capable of eating, bathing, dressing. But I need to say, hey, Tony, it's time to have breakfast because you wouldn't think of doing it. So, you know, that's what it is. And when you start talking about those things, that's not something that anyone wants to think about when they're planning for their retirement, when they're 48 to to 60 years old when well, we want people to think about long-term care. Well, that's the, the question I have, you know, at what you know, at what age should somebody be seriously thinking about a long-term care, you know, benefit option for themselves? And that's the question of the hour. It's like when you get asked, "So Tony, we're going to do a um a retirement plan and and when are you going to die?" And you look at me like <laughs> So uh, so people say to me, "Joan, you know, when should I buy this this uh, or, or consider uh, insurance? And I'll say, well, you really should get it just before you have an episode. But I don't know if you're going to ever need long-term care. I don't know for how long. And in fact, I, don't, I, have, I have no idea when. So you're planning for, and you mentioned it before about insurances. These are the unexpected types of things. You can put together your retirement nest egg and you can plan what, you know, my TSP is going to generate this much. I have Social Security. I have everything set up in a particular way. But this is one of those unexpected events. It could be the one thing that will derail all of the planning that you've had, that you have allocated all of these retirement funds for very specific things. It could be your lifestyle something for your spouse. You could be supporting uh, one of your kids. You could be uh, supporting grandkids. You want to save for their uh, education. You may have some favorite charities. You've earmarked all these funds. And now all of a sudden, unless you've planned for it, you have this long-term care episode that happens. What's the uh, what's the kind of the understanding level out there in the federal employee community? I know part of the whole reason um, long term care partners um, got started with Congress um, encouraged and has OPM you know involved in supervising it was you know a primarily a tool one of education. You know this you know we have a group of aging workforce out there that is grossly underinsured in this area. 
Um, is that still the case? And I guess how have you know sort of the you know your efforts in educating the workforce gone? Well, that's that's it. We're all about our charter's all about educating federal family members about making an informed decision regarding long-term care as part of their retirement planning. It isn't to say, Tony, your option is long-term care insurance. My objective, and we have a staff, I have a staff of account managers who are out working with all the agencies. We do a lot of of, um, on-site events. We, we participate in part of retirement seminars. We do webinars. We participate in health fairs and 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 a lot of um, in-person meetings. We have a very comprehensive webinar program um, on our website, and we also um, uh, have a very comprehensive um, website that contains a lot of tools to help you. So our whole deal is to educate people to think about long-term care when they do their retirement planning. And when I say think about that, it's really to have a plan. How does it fit in? And uh, there was a very interesting column in GovExec that Tammy Flanagan wrote today about, you know, it was a letter to her kids talking about um, long-term care and how what plans they are making. Do this before the situation happens when you're not in crisis modes because it really is all about the family members and the kids. Someone will take care of you. (laughs) Maybe. (laughs) But maybe is that I have two boys. I'm not counting on that, two sons. But, you know, but families take care of families. It really isn't about you, but you do a great favor for your families when you have your plans in place, whatever they may be. Insurance may or may not be the solution. And, you know, we were talking before we went on the air um, this morning, and I commented to you, I remember one year, I think it was about 15 years ago, uh, my mom called me um, and said, I just bought you the, I just bought you and your brothers the best present ever. I'm like, what's that? She goes, I got a long-term care policy, you know, and, you know, that really does, you know, underscore the need because you hear, you know, there's a lot of people who think, look, when I get to that place in my life, you know, am I really going to care, you know, how, you know, what's. You know, but it really is for the people, your, your children, whoever is going to be that caretaker. Um, it's nice to have have a policy like that in place. You're listening to Fed Talk on Federal News Radio, 1500 AM. I'm here with Joe Melanson from Federal Long-Term Care Partners. We'll continue our discussion about long-term care after this break and a word from our sponsor. Make long-term care insurance part of your retirement plan. Long-term care is expensive, and it's not covered by traditional types of insurance plans. With benefits designed specifically for the federal family, the Federal Long-Term Care Insurance Program offers a smart way to help protect savings and assets and remain independent should you need long-term care services someday. Start planning for the future. Take the next step and visit ltcfeds.com today. That's ltcfeds.com. Welcome back to Fed Talk on Federal News Radio, fifteen hundred AM. I'm Tony Vernetti, and I'm talking with Joe Melanson from the Federal Long Term Care Insurance Program about long term care insurance options for federal employees. Joan, one of the things uh, most federal employees, um, you know, they believe that you know, one of the reasons they they take a job with the federal government, other than to want want to serve and things like that, that there's this perception that there are great benefits, and there are great benefits. 
Um, and then there are a lot of, you know, health insurance options. You know, they got, you know, the Fegley life insurance and things like that. Um, but you mentioned a little bit that, you know, in, in, a, in a situation where you would need long-term care insurance to kick in, you know, your health benefits really aren't going to protect, aren't going to cover that. Because, you know, the health insurance, as you pointed out, is more about getting better. You know, not this, you know, this chronic care that you may need. So, I, you know, we talked a little bit about nursing homes, and I think that's what a lot of people identify the need for long-term care with. I wonder if you can just, um, you know, elaborate a little bit more on the types of benefits, you know, that are used for, for a long-term care program. No, that that's a good question, and um, <laughs> you started off, and interestingly enough, many people think that some insurance that you have should cover long-term care. We feel insurance out. Think of all the different insur- insurance payments we we um, we have, and uh, it's no wonder that people out there say, "Well, something must cover long-term care." That you know, something has to. And the other thing is that there's the perception that the government will pick up uh, the cost for some people. Um, it's called re- your bank account. If yeah. You don't have, if you don't have a program. Well, you know, <laughs> caregiving and 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 I mentioned before that that um, uh, nursing homes are really the last resort. The majority of care, eighty percent of it, happens at home or in the community. That's where people want to be. They want to age in place. Nobody wants to leave their home. They want caregivers to come in. And one of the nice things about the uh, federal long-term care insurance program, which is the federal benefit, um, informal uh, care is available, meaning that family members and friends can come in and stay with you and get paid. So you don't have to have a licensed um, care worker come in if you would prefer somebody else. But that the majority of care happens at home. The majority of it is unpaid. And the, the wear and tear and stress on caregivers is enormous in terms of uh, their lifestyles and the kinds of lives that, that they lead. So if you want to make a gift to your, your kids, you know, think about how busy your kids are and if they have time for you at all. <laughs> um, and then layer on that, taking care of, of, of an aging parent or two. Um, it's, it, it really is, is, um, is difficult. So there's the financial aspect of uh, of long term care, but I think, and having gone through it with my mom, um, she had Alzheimer's uh, for a number of years. It was less about the financial and more about the emotional and the caregiving. And that's really, if you don't have a plan in advance, when you're trying to do it on the fly, that's very very difficult. Let's um, let's talk a little bit about the cost for long term care because I think that's um, one of the things that you know people. You hear them say, you know, that it's it's either too expensive, it's cost prohibitive. Um, I don't want to get in a plan too early. I'm going to be paying into it, you know, for too long. You know, elaborate a little bit about the costs and what, you know, what considerations the federal employee ought to be looking at when they're trying to decide. That's a very good question. I'd like to start off with what is the cost of long-term care? And if you look at the cost of nursing homes today, the average, and an average, of course, is very misleading, 70000 a year, um, it really depends where you're going to retire. Uh, that's why a lot of people retire in a place like Phoenix. It's going to be a lot less there than in Washington, D.C. And we have a cost of care uh, calculate. In fact, the website, the www.ltcfeds.com is very useful because you'll get a very general understanding of long-term care 
in addition to information about the federal program. So you could look at our cost of care tool and plug in state and city where you're thinking you're retiring and you can plug in what's the cost of a nursing home and assisted living care facility uh, and home care. And then you can get some sense as to the cost. And those are today's dollars because what we suggest is that people do this in advance. So if you're looking at it and you're 48, you're probably not going to use this care. I mean, on average, people use it in their 70s. I can't predict if it's going to happen in your 60s, when you're 90, or you're never going to use it. But you're going to be paying most likely into this plan for a long period of time. And as you said, so why should I start early? Well, two reasons. It's cheaper getting into the program when you apply early because it's like term insurance or life insurance at all. You look at the age. And secondly, you are the higher, there's a higher probability that you're going to be um, healthy. So um, you have to trade off what are you paying versus the cost of that care. And I can contend that if you understand the value of something, it's never too expensive. I see long lines at Starbucks all the time, and there'll be people that say, are you kidding me? I'm not paying 5 or $6 for a cup of coffee. But those lines, you know, they snake out of Starbucks because people understand the value. There are the people that have gone through this experience, and I like to think of people in four categories. You've either been a caregiver, you're doing the caregiving thing now, you will do it, or someone you're going to look for someone to be your caregiver. The people that have gone through the experience are the ones that come by and say, I get it. They understand the value of this. And for them, and I understand everybody has budgetary constraints. We try to fit a plan that will cover some of those costs. They don't have to cover all of them. If they're going through it right now, they're too busy and paralyzed to think about purchasing it. People who have had no experience they're in denial, they're oblivious, and they're too busy with daily living. We're all very, very busy. Uh, so it's, you know, it's a matter of, do you see the value of what you're purchasing? So there are different plans available. It's Absolutely. Not like one, and, and you have staff on hand that helps people decide what, what they need for their particular set of circumstances? Absolutely. We try to tailor them. We have four prepackaged pl- plans to make it easy. Uh, and we also, um, you know, will work with anybody. They're not commissioned agents. They'll call. You can ask them anything about long-term care. You can even say, hey, I have this policy that I bought a long time ago. Can you explain it from another company? We will We will help. Our, our objective is education to make sure that everybody makes an informed decision. And that's something really, really to, you know, that can't be emphasized enough because that is your dual objective, your dual mission is not so much just to, you know, be selling long-term care insurance, but it's the, it's the know, education. It's congressional mandated mission of educate. It's a platform of education that, you know, we want to educate people on what they're going to need um, if one of these unexpected events happened. So you mentioned that you know the, the younger you are, the earlier you get in, you know, the, the less expensive you know it, it may be. Are the rates locked in? You know, do they are there increases? <laughs> the old locked in rates trick. <laughs> rates are not guaranteed. Um, they can um, increase at any time. Uh, that's a decision that um, Office of Personnel Management (OPM) will make. Um, this has been a very difficult pricing industry. There have been a lot of rate increases, and that's because people are using the product. And 
it's um, they're using it. They're using it longer. And um, it's you, been it's a young industry. It's not like life insurance or some right. of these other industries. You, this is a young. And industry. if you live long enough, it's going to be used. You know, from an insurance. Oh, yeah. From an insurance perspective, it's it's what we call you know almost a, a guaranteed loss. Well, the good news is that we are paying out benefits over ten million a month right now, and the program's been around for thirteen, going on fourteen years. That's a lot of benefit that we're paying to a lot of family members. And yes, people may not be happy about rate increases and so forth, but those people getting the fourteen million a month, I better are happy. But you mentioned something that I think goes worth noting. I mean, it's OPM's involved in deciding, you know, on on the rate increases. Mm -hmm. You know, this Mm -hmm. is not being unilaterally done out there in in the insurance industry. Absolutely not. They um, review everything we we write, everything on our website, all of our materials, our rates. They have actuaries that they contract with to double check the actuaries that uh, uh, Hancock has. Um, there are a lot of controls and a lot of consumer protection features in this program. Um, so, and, and, it, and any rate increases don't go to John Hancock or long-term care partners profit. Our profit is capped. It goes, you know, everything is part of the experience fund and it's for the benefit of the enrollees. So what happens if I'm a federal employee, um, retired, um, you know, five, 10 years in my retirement and, you know, I, I get on some hard times. You know, and you, you've got to look where you need to cut. You know, what happens if I'm unable to make my premium payments anymore or I stop paying premiums? What happens to my policy? Well, unfortunately, your policy lapses. Um, you can always reduce your benefit to make it more affordable. So we could sit down and look at what can you afford and how can we um, trim the policy? Because we'd like to have you you keep it. In fact, our lapse rates are um, way under 1%. Oh, wow, really? Because people, <laughs> federal employees, the people who buy this product really spend a long time thinking about it. They want to make the right choice. We They have what we call 7 to 12 touches where they hear about it, they go to the website, they go to a meeting before before they make that decision. And once they have it, they don't drop it. So That's we would say work with you. On the average, you. you need 10 touches before they purchase. Absolutely. Absolutely. In some shape, form, or size. And oftentimes, it's when they're ready. They've had an experience. They've heard about it. A financial planner says, now it's the time to do it. There's some reason, and they're ready to do it. But we're there educating them all through the process. Well, that's interesting to know that you can you can change the kind of plan that you're mm-hmm. enrolled in to make it make it more affordable. Um, could you go up and down as well? As you can change? increase, but you would have to go through un- underwriting to increase. Back, back through underwriting yeah, to, yeah, to increase. Yeah. Well, let's talk about um, the underwriting, how people apply. Because I know there are two separate groups. Um, right. There are the the new employees where there's a. This is sixty day. A new employee has sixty days to. Uh, look at uh, this program and to apply under what we call abbreviated, or I, I like to call it short form underwriting. There's seven questions. It, you can apply for this program at any time, but if you don't do it within that um, 60-day window, then you have 40 questions to answer, and they're all health questions pretty much. It's a yes, no. Yes, please explain. If you don't have anything, it's no, 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 no. We do get copies of uh, you sign off to get copies of medical records, which we review, and then we give you a decision. There, there aren't any exams or anything associated with it. So, if you're a new federal employee within 60 days, there's the short form, form, mm-hmm. and then if if 
all other employees, you're on the 40 question questionnaire that you Absolutely. need to go through, but you don't need to wait till open season, right? No, we okay. are open all the time. And some people get confused because we are at all the health fairs uh, that happen in that uh, four to five week period in November. And we're there to talk about the program and we're there to assist enrollees who have questions about the plan that they that they have. But you can apply at any time. And so quickly, let's talk about who's eligible because it's not just federal employees. It's right. their spouses. It's spouses, it's parents, it's parents-in-law, and it's adult children. And if you're retired, you also, uh, you and your spouse can also apply and you can leave government, do whatever, as long as you pay the premiums. Once you're in the program, you're in the program for life. What about somebody you know, who's a deferred annuitant, for example? You know, are they are they eligible? Deferred like, annuitant. Yeah. So yeah. If, if I serve, you know, if I serve in the federal government for ten years, right, um, and I just leave government service, I'm you know, I deferred my annuitant payment. I'm not going to get until I'm age 63. I believe am, that. Am I, I believe eligible? that. I believe that will work. Um, yes, then, because you do have an annuity coming. And then military personnel. Military. Yes. I'm sorry. Thank you for reminding me. Um, I, I'm sorry. I did forget that. That um, uh, active as well as retiree. It's the same thing that I talked about. And uh, domestic, uh, same-sex domestic partners are also eligible uh, for this program. That's that's new uh, as well. And if somebody wants to get more information, go to the website. Yes, go to um, ltcfeds.com. Um, and we have a, a number of different tools plus access to a, a number of different webinars that are not just about this program, but they're about long-term care in the context of retirement planning, about you know making sure you have a power of attorney, a health care proxy, all of that. Or you can call our 800 number at... Um, one 1-800-LTC-FEDS. LTC <laughs> 1-800-LTC-FEDS. And again, these are non-commissioned um, seasoned consultants that can help you and right. answer and, any and questions. Right, and it's a platform of education, and I'll Absolutely. quickly plug Tell your me. webinars. You know, we, I've had you do a um, bunch of them for us. Um, they're, they're very informative. You've got, you know, great people on your staff that are providing you know, you know, good information, you know, you're not getting the hard sell out there, folks, you're getting, you know, information, you're getting educated on, on why you would need um, long-term care and how that fits into, you know, your kind of overall retirement planning, because we're all not, you know, not everybody's going to be, be in the same situation. Absolutely. We try to work with uh, each person on a, on a, um, personalized basis, looking at their needs. Everybody has a different situation, different lifestyle, different family situation, different support uh, situation, different budget, different priorities, different um, view towards planning and risk and so forth. So um, we, we try to work as closely as we can. So we have to stop here for our second break. Joan, thanks so much for your time today. We appreciate you sharing this important information. When we come back, we'll have Jim DeLatora of the Fed Advantage Disability Insurance Program and Chartered Retirement Planning Counselor on to discuss some other financial planning tools for federal employees and their families. Make long-term care insurance part of your retirement plan. Long-term care is expensive, and it's not covered by traditional types of insurance plans. With benefits designed specifically for the federal family, the Federal Long-Term Care Insurance Program offers a smart way to help protect savings and assets and remain independent should you need long-term care services someday. Start planning for the future. Take the next step and visit ltcfeds.com today. That's ltcfeds.com. 
If you're a federal manager, you deal with a lot of information. Here's a tip on breaking through the noise. Join the Federal Managers Association to have a voice on Capitol Hill. And to get filtered news and information specific to managing your workforce, join the 50,000 other federal managers who already subscribe and read the free weekly e-report, fedmanager.com. I'm Todd Wells, Executive Director of the Federal Managers Association, and I approve this message. Welcome back to Fed Talk on Federal News Radio, fifteen hundred AM. I'm Tony Vernetti, and I would like to um, say goodbye to Joan as she's trying to sneak out of here and get get on to her next next meeting. But I'd like to bring on the show Jim DeLatora, uh, the Fed Advantage Disability Insurance Program, to tell us about some other financial planning tools that are available for federal employees and their families. Jim, good morning, and welcome to the show. Hey, good morning, Tony. How you doing today? I'm doing good, and I, I thank you for interrupting your uh, boys' football um, weekend to call in for us. Well, anything for you, Tony. Looking <laughs> forward to uh, spending the next few minutes chatting about uh, federal benefits. So one of the things I mentioned, um, you know, you, you provide a lot of um, financial uh, retirement planning uh, to federal employees, and, and you're out there around the country speaking speaking a lot. Um, what kind of what feedback do you get? What are what are the biggest concerns you hear um, uh, from federal employees about their retirement planning? Uh, I would say, without question, <clears throat> the biggest concern. <clears throat> excuse me. The biggest concern we're we're seeing is with the fund performances within the TSP. Uh, for a lot of federal employees, they really are concerned and they struggle with the fluctuations in the values of their uh, investments within the TSP. And the concern grows as they get closer and closer to retirement. They see the variations of their account balances and it's alarming to them. And as a result of it being alarming to them, they tend to be uh, more cautious with what they should be doing with their investments. I was just looking at my own retirement, my retirement um, account the other day, and it was alarming to me as well. (laughs) Well, and I think part of that, Tony, is the nature of the investments. Um, The type of investments that are within the TSP respond differently uh, than what you would find in other types of investment vehicles. And this is pretty much consistent with most 401k type investments that you would see in the private sector as well as what is what's offered within the TSP. And as and because of that, um, they're more sensitive to the market fluctuations because it's the it's the stock market that drives their up and down and the volume of trading that has an impact on the account balances within those funds. And as a result of that, investors in the TSP are subject to what we call in the industry market volatility and that fluctuation. So what is it? So what are you saying? Is it you know just that they don't the federal employees you know don't understand that they, they you know they don't get the you know the bigger picture, um, you know there's you know that they need to be aware of that because because then there needs to be other strategies or other investment vehicles that they ought to be taking advantage of because you know the TSP is what the government gives them they can't they don't really have a choice. You know, big picture is is, is a key word, and, and yet federal employees, by and large, 
really don't get the big picture, and they're in denial. And I think that the quicker they come to terms with what they're dealing with, the easier it is for them to adapt to it. And what I mean by that is, for the longest time, uh, FIRST has only been around for 30 30 years or so. Right. Um, It came out back in 1984. But prior to that, you had the civil service retirement system, and and the, the dynamic of that pension was very different. The focus of that pension was really all about your employer taking care of you into retirement. When you when you really cut to the chase, CSRS was all about your employer paying you a salary to stay home, and the onus and the and the financial burden was that of the was on the shoulders of your employer. FERS, with the creation of the TSP and and the bringing of Social Security into the system, changed the dynamic. It's not just about having a 401k or a TSP. The business philosophy of the government changed. And that business philosophy went from, we will be responsible for your retirement, to you will be responsible for your retirement. And so the onus is on the employee's shoulders, not the employer's. And too many federal employees that I run into, and we're all over the country talking to them all the time, is there's this disconnect. They, they still want to believe that their employer is going to take care of them. And that's not the, the, the case. So they don't take these they don't take ownership of the TSP seriously until it's too late for many of them. And well, then they're struggling to and, try to put away enough for retirement. And it's just like I was, I was talking with Joan. You know, a lot of people you know, are attracted to the federal government because traditionally – you know, they had these pension type programs that you talked about, the CSRS, and it did provide a very good, you know, benefit. And, you know, I come in, I do my, my, my 30 years and, you know, the government's the government's really, really going to take care of me. Um, and so what you're saying is now that it's being shifted towards, you know, the, the three prong kind of retirement and there are personal choices um, that that are being made by federal employees. Um, it's not so much that they're making wrong choices. They're maybe just not aware of, of the choices they need to be making. Correct. I, I think, and don't, don't, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. There's nothing wrong with the first pension, Social Security, or TSP as, as a component together. As a matter of fact, in today's world, Many companies do not offer that level of stability in a pension, and I think it's a valuable tool, and federal employees should be happy that they have this pension. The disconnect is in their understanding of their responsibility in this. They need to take ownership, and and too many times they don't. Talk to a lot of newly hired employees. They get this understanding, this perception of employer benefits, and yes, the employer benefits are good, but I think one of the big hidden secrets is Federal employees, if you look at it, pay for all of their benefits. There's very little employer funding of the pen, the, their benefits. Can you give me an example? Sure. Um, you take the um, – in the first retirement system, the employees contribute on a biweekly basis. Yes, there's employer contribution, but the employees do contribute 4.4% um, if you're a new hire today, but – they, they do contribute into that pension. They contribute into Social Security. If you were hired before 2013, you know, your contributions into your, just to FERS and Social Security was 7% of your salary. Um, the FEHB, the medical plan, you participate 25% of those premiums. When you look at Fegley, 
when you take basic life off the equation, which they don't even pay the full cost of basic life, if you want any of the optional coverages, you're paying 100% of those premiums. So it's not like the employees, they have access to benefits, but it's not like their employer's paying for these benefits. They are. And they, they seem to have this, this disconnect that because their employer offers a plan, it, 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 it's, it's necessarily the only thing that they should be doing or that their employer's taking care of them. And that's not necessarily the case. Is there so? Is there more? Let's say you know OPM should be doing about this to, to kind of explain a little bit of this disconnect to employees. Well, OPM, in in in, in the role that they're in, in, in my humble opinion, um, really does not do a very good job of explaining the the benefits to their employee. Um, OPM is both a blessing and a curse because they are they they on one hand they are the client who brings in these benefits on behalf of their employers but on the other hand they act as a broker as they're as they're kind of determining who gets to talk to their employees about benefits the problem that federal employees have is as the government tries to shield the employees from talking to financial advisors or outside parties and tries to promote their internal programs, what's missing in that is sound financial advice that goes with it. Uh, a human resources specialist at any level is only allowed to pass out information. They're not there to sit down with an employee and help them with how do they mix their money up in the TSP? Should they look at the option B coverage for their family? Which health plan makes more sense for them? That type of personal consultation is really not at the HR level specialty, and they're, they're basically encouraged to not participate in those conversations with the employee. On the other side of the equation, the employer prevents, really deters the employees from seeking out that information, and it, and it creates a quandary for the employee that they don't really know where to go to get valuable information that they need. This ties into this disconnect of, I'm an employee, and I'm supposed to take care of myself, yet my employer's not encouraging me to seek out a financial advisor or personal or a person who can help me or to provide me information to make decisions. I have to assume the role as my own personal financial planner, my own personal investment advisor, my own personal um, retirement counselor. And that's, that's a slippery slope for employees. And I, you know, I know that you know we and you too. We try to get out there. It's it's open season. It's 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 health fair open season, and we try to get invited to as many health fairs as we can, so that we can you know just like like federal long term care provide education to employees. Um, but but we're often you know you know sometimes not invited or being specifically excluded from some of those health fairs where we're just trying to provide educational material. Now now there are you know, a handful of federal agencies that are a bit more progressive on this, I would say, and they have what we call financial fairs, um, you know, and they'll invite people out such as, you know, my company, Feds, Professional Liability Insurance, you know, your company to talk about disability insurance, um, you know, and they and they do sponsor a lot of retirement seminars. You know, I do see a lot of that, but I, I think what you're saying is, is the problem is not, 
exclusively limited to those who are sort of in the retirement planning of their of their career, correct? Correct. And in, with the creation of the first system, the retirement planning really starts day one because the, the power of the TST is time. Having time for your money to work for you and grow for you is, is critical. Um, in the old pension systems, the, the concept held true. Time is important because uh, you have to work so many years to require a pension. In this case, the money may not be there if you don't have the time for that money to work for you. So, so this process needs to start much sooner than someone who's within five years of retirement. Right. The, your rate of return so is governed by your longevity. <laughs> Correct. Correct. So, uh, Jim, we're going to stop here, uh, hear a word from our sponsor. When we return, we'll wrap up the discussion um, with you about these supplemental insurance options for federal employees. And specifically, I want to jump into some of the, the, the disability insurance. Okay. Make long-term care insurance part of your retirement plan. Long-term care is expensive, and it's not covered by traditional types of insurance plans. With benefits designed specifically for the federal family, the Federal Long-Term Care Insurance Program offers a smart way to help protect savings and assets and remain independent should you need long-term care services someday. Start planning for the future. Take the next step and visit ltcfeds.com today. That's ltcfeds.com. Welcome back to Fed Talk on Federal News Radio, 1500 AM. We are entering our last segment of the show, and we are talking about some of these supplemental insurance benefits that are available to federal employees and their families. Um, Jim, before we um, took the break, we were kind of talking about how, unbeknownst to a, a lot of federal employees, that there are kind of these gaps in their benefits, you know, what's available to them, you know, in, in retirement. Um a lot of federal employees believe that, you know, that they don't need disability insurance. You know, that sick leave, you know, are what's called OPM disability or Department of Labor Workers Comp is going to is going to have them covered. Uh, tell me why that's not necessarily true. Well, I think that the current federal benefit structure of leave and disability retirement are just a base benefit structure to cover a, a, a big problem with disability. Disability insurance is one of those things that gets often overlooked. But if you talk to any financial planner or you read any financial publication, they will tell you that disability insurance for, uh, for the active worker is the single most important coverage that they should own uh, to, to protect their income if they can't work. What the government has as far as a benefit is they have a leave program. And in the leave program, you have your annual leave and you have your sick leave. Um, they cap out your annual leave at so many days a year that you can, or so many days that you can keep in a pool. And the one benefit that they give you an unlimited amount of is sick leave, but you can only earn so many days a year of sick leave. The problem with that is that sick leave is now an asset because federal employees can convert that towards years of service. Right. So there's a, there's, a, there's a reason that they want to maintain that sick leave. The, uh, the, the current situation has two programs. Uh, disability retirement is really for people who are no longer able to work really in any capacity at their same pay and grade level. 
And it's really the tail end or the final stage of a person's condition. Leave and disability retirement do not work together. Just because you qualify for leave doesn't mean you're going to qualify for disability retirement. As a matter of fact, the process of applying for disability retirement is rather, rather lengthy and it oftentimes results in a denial of benefits for which an employee has to hire an attorney to set up an appeals process for these benefits. So you have these two programs that really work on the polar opposite, and there's always a break in service. Now, some agencies try to fill this gap by doing um, leave donations, but leave donations are simply that. They're just donations, and there's no guarantee that you're going to receive uh, leave donations um, when you, in fact, need it. So the employee is faced with a benefit for a certain period of time, then there's going to be a leave without pay status or a break in service, a break in income, until that employee is either able to come back to work or they're going to have to apply for disability retirement. It's that break in service that has the biggest impact on an employee because it's going to impact the employee in a couple of different ways. Obviously, they're not receiving an income, so their current uh, financial situation is going to change. But more importantly, oftentimes, their sole source of savings is within the TSP. And so they're going to have to start to begin to withdraw money from their TSP to cover their monthly expenses as they're getting healthier. And as a result of that, they're, they're circumventing their retirement picture by withdrawing that money prematurely. So not having any type of a continuous flow of income when you are out on a disability can, can pose a, a huge financial problem to an employee that's in, in a position where they can't afford to take those types of, um, to, to feel those types of gaps in income. Well, let me make two, two quick points there, Jim, that I think underscore the point you're trying to make. A, a lot of people are surprised to learn that even if they're applying for OPM you know, disability, and even though it's clear um, that they may get it, um, the average wait time is between eight months to a year and a half to to get that adjudicated and approved by OPM, and that's just on the first go around. That you know, if you know, if you don't have to appeal it up to one of the two levels of appeals that are available for you, you know, that's just a base submission. You know, so that's a sort of a long time to be in limbo. Um, you know, the the other thing I would just mention real quick to make sure our listeners know, even when you're granted. Um, awarded OPM disability, um, that is a considerable reduced benefit and it's taxed, okay? It's not like your benefit under workers' comp, which is, which is a, a, you know, six at 65% and tax-free is, is a pretty healthy benefit. Um, you know, so a lot of people who end up running, you know, the numbers, you know, it, you know, even if they're eligible for OPM disability, it, it, still, it still often puts them in a disadvantaged situation, not to mention that they're going to have this long period of time where they're in probably a leave without pay status, not making any money. Well, you're absolutely right. And, and you know, there is a correlation. If you, if you were to run the bankruptcy statistics in America today, that I believe 55% of all bankruptcies in the U.S. today are a direct result of a medical condition that has put a worker out uh, for an indefinite period of time. Now, that's not a federal problem. That's an American problem. But federal employees are certainly in, in the mix with those, with those numbers. So I think I, I wrote a, I have a, a fact here that says nearly one in five Americans will become disabled for one more year before the age of 65. And with you know, people working later and later, that's a pretty staggering number. 
You're right. It, and, 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 and another fact that we see a lot of is the, the conception, the, one of the misconceptions about disability is you have to be flat on your back in bed to receive, to receive benefits for disability insurance. And really, it, it's not, that, that's not always the case. Most disability insurance plans will, if an employee was to lose uh, more than 20% of their income, uh, they could qualify for benefits under the program. So if you take a situation where a person was to come down with a form of, of cancer, and that cancer could be treated through um, aggressive chemotherapy and radiation treatment, but as a result of that treatment, the employee is only able to work, let's say, three days a week. Um, they can file for benefits under most disability plans and receive that shortfall of income while they're actually at work. Uh, contrary to popular belief, disability insurance is really designed to help employees get back to work right. um, as opposed to let them live on, live on a check coming in every month. Most disability insurance companies, uh, the hidden value is the vocational and rehabilitative training that is available to an employee that helps them get back on their feet and back into the workforce. And, and you look at the way medical conditions are running today and, and, and the advancements and, and the cures that doctors can have for conditions, what you'll find is that a lot of times people who suffer disabilities, you know, the average disability claim is, is probably, uh, if a person's out for 90 days, it's the, I think the statistics, it's about nine months. Um, most companies would move on if they could from that employee and hire somebody else. OPM does not have any vehicle in place to help an employee who's in that situation rehabilitate and get back into the workforce. It's really on the employee's shoulders. Um, and disability carriers will provide those types of valuable resources to help those employees get back into the workforce. What, why don't you give us a little bit of information about your program, the Fed Advantage program, um, what benefits are specifically provided under the plans that you, you offer? And it's underwritten, I know, by, by Matt. MetLife. Yeah, uh, our disability program's been around since 1992, and over the, the course of the 20, 25 some odd years it's been, in, it's been around, um, has gone through some major revamping and, and, and has created uh, more to the customer's satisfaction. But, but the way our program simply works is we offer employees a choice of a short-term disability or a long-term disability program. Uh, short-term disability pays benefits beginning at um, person's out for 30 days or longer, they begin to receive benefits under the program, and we'll pay them for up to 52 weeks. This is kind of designed for newly hired employees who don't have a lot of leave, um, or employees who are getting close to retirement or looking for some transitional security before they're, um, if they have to go out a little bit earlier than expected for retirement, they have some income coming in. Um, in addition to that, our long-term disability program covers them at too late 65. Um, and regardless of which program you purchase, the benefits are um, an income replacement of 66 and two-thirds percent of your income. What that simply means is it's about 100% of what you're taking home right now is what you would receive in benefits. And because this is insurance, it's tax-free. And that's one of the differences between disability insurance and uh, disability retirement. Ours is tax-free. theirs is taxable as ordinary income. And so the, to qualify for, for benefits under the program, you simply have to have a condition that um, prohibits you from doing your job, and there has to be a loss of income. So there's two components to qualifying for benefits. 
Uh, and then if you're unable, if you're out for a prolonged period of time, like I said, they do have access to vocational rehabilitative training, and that's a big part of the people that we have on claim today. Um, the ones that have serious conditions, and certain agencies, as you know, Tony, they have less tolerance for employees who are unable to work than others. And so right. if you're unable to come in, they're going to replace you as quickly as possible. So our vocational training comes in, and we help these employees get back into a field that's either within the federal government or something that's going to be consistent with their, uh, with their career. And a big misconception about that is, you know, well, if I can't do my job um, in my agency, then I'm going to get a job. They're going to make me work at McDonald's flipping hamburgers. And that's not simply true. The disability insurance is designed to replace your income. And, and um, if you can't do your job, they're looking for something that's going to be consistent with your education, your experience, and your income. Because, Jim, again, they're trying to get you back on your feet, not continue to pay you a benefit. Jim, quickly, um, um what is the biggest barrier in like 20 seconds or less that you hear from people who um, you're not considering disability insurance? Then uh, give us your website so people can get more information. Well, the website is www.fedadvantage.com. Now, when you say the biggest, the biggest reason people choose to not purchase disability? Yeah. Is it, is what, that, they think it can never happen to me, right? It's never going to happen to me, or they don't believe that they believe that their disability, uh, their leave and disability retirement, um, is in fact going to be sufficient to cover them. Um, so a lot of it's misunderstanding and it's being naive. We do offer an educational program product for for people who are interested. It's called a disability financial impact study. And it allows employees to see if they were to actually come out on, on a disability, what would they actually get from their leave and disability retirement? And, and they can, and they, working Jim, they can get that from your website? Yeah, they can download it on the website. They're okay, there, yeah. I'm going to have to cut us off there. We're, we're out of time. Um, that's all the time we have for today. Um, Jim, want to thank you for spending some time with me and sharing this important information. want to thank all of you for joining us. Just a reminder that Fed Talk is brought to you by the attorneys at Shaw, Bransford, and Roth. Have a great weekend, everybody.